Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just guide the discussion and the, 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 the teaching through your word today, tomorrow, Sunday. I pray, Father, that I would be completely out of the way and that your spirit would be in the way. Would you show up, please, Lord, in a way that we may, we may not have expected Pray, Father, that you would help us to think through our life, think through our faith, and help us to be in alignment with you. And we pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what's your faith like? What is your faith like? How would people look at you? What would they see in your life and in my life Today I'd like to take a look at the expression and the evidence of the faith that we should have. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your uh, cell phone and get that Bible app out or, you know, borrow somebody's Bible or just listen. But we're going to be taking a look at James chapter 2 and we're going to be asking that question. Now, let me set the context in the book of James By the time we get to chapter 2, James has already dealt with some pretty hard issues with the body of Christ. He's dealt with, you know, whether or not they've been showing favoritism or not. He's, he's already dealt with whether or not they have been looking after the widows and the orphans. He's been talking about, uh, you know, not having a loose tongue and that they needed to be a family. Uh, instead of just discriminating to one another. He deals with temptation. He deals with anger. And so I think James, in, in his dealings here as Pastor James, is kind of this no-nonsense pastor. He reminds me of that coach you had in high school that you both loved and you hated. You loved him because he produced results, but you hated him because, man, he was in your face. And I kind of think James was kind of like, come on, you guys! I don't want any whips around here! I don't want any posers! I want people that are going to do something! Now I'm telling you, get going for the Lord! Because there's too much things at risk here! we got to do it! Okay, get out there, go! Well, maybe he didn't have blood vessels popping in his head, but and maybe he had a little bit more uh, a little bit more compassion. But you know, I think Pastor James had a sense of urgency about him. He had a sense of urgency because there was a lot at stake in the culture that he was dealing with. The church was being persecuted. There were people that their homes were being taken away from them. They, they were in need of clothing. They were in need of food. He really needed them to be the body of Christ to each other and to love each other and to help each other. He needed them to exhibit the character of Christ in their life. That's what he needed. There was a lot at stake. He wanted them to live like Jesus. He wanted them to love like Jesus. And you know, I look at our culture and our world today, and I don't see anything different. I think there is a hurting world that's around us that really needs us to be Jesus. We need to be the example of Christ because there's plenty of people that are toting their Bibles around, they're wearing their Christian t-shirts around, but they're not doing anything about their faith. How real is our faith? 
I believe that there's life and death issues as well today. There are people that are hungry. There are people without clothing. And there are people, more importantly, without Jesus Christ. And so what James is doing is he's getting us to think, what is it that we are representing? How are we going to live out this faith of ours? Is it going to be real? And so we come to James chapter 2, verse 14. And James asks this question. He says, listen, are you really, really saved? Take a look at this verse in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brother, if a man claims that he has faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, in this passage, as James is writing this, he writes it as a rhetorical question, which wasn't meant to be answered out loud. It was meant to be answered in their mind and their heart, but there's a negative built into it. He already knows the answer to the question. See, James is citing the person who is continuously telling other people that he has faith, but there's absolutely no supporting evidence in their life. And James says, can that faith save them? Seriously, guys, can that faith save them? It's another rhetorical question with a negative answer. And in essence, James is saying, are they really believers? Now, I don't think James here is trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. I think this kind of brings up an issue when we get to the book of James that some people in theological circles have debated. They thought, man, is James promoting kind of this, you got to work your way to heaven? I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that's the case at all. Some would say, you know, it kind of goes against what Paul said. Paul said in Ephesians, you're saved by grace. It says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Clearly, Paul was like, you can't work your way to God. Now, is this what James is, is James trying to promote that we need to work our way to God? I believe the answer is no. See, Paul, what he was doing is he was showing how a person is saved. But what James is doing is he's saying, this is what a saved person looks like. This is the evidence of a saved individual. So here's the question tonight. What is the evidence that you and I are living as a redeemed, saved Christian? What's the evidence in our life? We're told in 2 Corinthians, and this is why we have retreats like this, we're told this, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith, test yourself. Now, tonight I'd like to do a little test. Let's suppose Pastor Van did something to you. Now, I'm sure that as within our ministry, I have a lot of contacts on my cell phone. And let's say that Pastor Van had contacts with all the popo that exist in this church. All the police officers. Any police officers in here? Okay, we got a few popo. Okay, that's good. Okay, yeah, I don't know if you call them popo around here, but that's a term of endearment, okay? Now, I want you to see some of the popo in Akron, Ohio, okay? (laughs) 
These are some of the Pope. I know that's not how you do things here in West Virginia at all. Okay. But let's just say Pastor Van, let's just say Pastor Van was to put a tail on you. Now this is undercover, so you have no idea that these police officers are documenting your every move. So here's the question. As they document your every move throughout the week, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a follower and believer in Jesus Christ? What would the evidence say? Those private conversations, somehow they've bugged you and they know what you're saying. They see what you're text messaging. They see what you're putting on the computer. They have this, it's kind of like this all-seeing eye. Van, Pastor Van is an amazing man. He has these you know, like CIA guys that can follow you. What would be the evidence that I am a saved individual? Would the evidence show that I'm a person who talks spiritually but does not live spiritually? Or would the evidence show a person who is so stinking in love with Jesus Christ that it is showing in their actions? These are the people that, you know what, Pastor Van, there's something, your children need their their clothes, their, uh, their toys cleaned? I'll do that, that's no problem. Oh, that guy down the street, you know what? My neighbor, his lawnmower's not working. I'm going to go help him out. Or it's the guy that's going to work at the rescue mission. Or it's the person that's kind of cleaning out his closet because, man, I got so much stuff. I'm going to help out so-and-so because I really know. What is it that people are going to, that these tales are going to see in our life? See, I don't think James is trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. He wants to know, is it real? And so as he goes in this passage, he wants to see what is the expression of their faith and what is the evidence. So let's take a look at the expression of real faith. Take a look at verse 15 through 17. Now, James gives a very practical example of what real faith actually is not. He gives a negative example, but through that negative example, we're to learn what real faith is not. Real faith is not having a brother or sister in need of clothing, in need of food, and for us giving warm platitudes to them and just saying, Hey, man, you know what? I hope, I hope everything goes well for you, man. I hope that you can, you know, really get what you need. Now, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what it should be. And actually, James is in, in his passage, in this passage, he's like, what good is that? You almost sense him pulling out his hair and saying, what good is it? See, our faith has to be seen in the actions. Now, can I point out that this real faith is going to guard against empty words? Because he wants to see that this faith is in action. You know what? We have a, a great role model in Christ, don't we? Because if we look at Christ and we just observe his life, we see that Jesus showed it in his actions. He showed it in his teaching. 
I, I think of that passage in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus is saying, okay, there's going to be this time where there's going to be the sheep and the goats and we're going to separate them from one another. And, and there's going to be people, there's going to be people that are posers. There's going to be people that are pretenders to be believers in Christ. And I, and, and, and I'm going to evaluate their life and, and we're going to, in this evaluation, they're going to say, well, Lord, I, I didn't visit the sick or the imprisoned. I didn't go to those that were hungry or in need of clothes. I didn't know that they existed. I really didn't know about it. And Jesus is going to, and he says in his teaching, this is how passionate he is, like, get away from me. Depart from me. You enter into what you deserve. But then there's going to be those in that crowd that in this teaching that say, you know, Jesus, I, I mean, just visiting people and helping people and serving people and taking care of those that are in prison and what have you. That's just part of everyday life. That's what I should be doing. And Jesus says in this illustration, in this passage, he says, well done. Listen here, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Please note that this is the heart of Jesus. He taught it out. I love looking at Matthew and or the Gospels and looking at how many times Jesus saw a need. He felt for that need and then he came alongside and he met that need. Now what James is saying is if we don't have a faith that's very, very tangible, very real, then it's dead. It's dead. It's barren. It's sterile. What kind of spirituality are we living? Are we, are we spiritually dead or are we alive? See, what good is it if there's an absentee father to his kids? My friends, you're dead to your kids. What good is it if a, if a husband is not faithful to his wife? You're dead to your family. What good is it if we live as if we are amoral in our everyday life and the decisions that we make in the workplace? We're dead to the to our witness. And what Jesus is saying, what James is saying, I believe the heart of Jesus is coming through James is that we got to be spiritually alive, not dead. If alive, then how is that faith seen in our life? Here's the evidence. Look at verse 18 through 20. Now in this passage, James is confronting this wrong mentality that a lot of Jews had. He had a lot of Jewish people that were in his in his congregation. And there were some Jews who were like, man, I got some faith. and and But you know, it doesn't matter that I'm not showing it. And James is showing this tug of war and he's like, you say you have faith, but no works. But I say you ha- should have faith with your works. Show me your faith with your works. And the key word here that James uses is the word show. The word show means to demonstrate, to make visible what is invisible. In other words, our faith which is invisible needs needs to be visible through the works that we are doing. James is clearly stating that there has to be evidence. Then he goes on in the passage. He says, you guys say, God is one. This is what the Jews would often do in their worship. They would quote the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your strength. They would quote that. And some of these Jews who had come out of Saturday traditions of worshiping in the synagogues, they would say, I've quote the Shema, that's good enough. And some of that translated to them claiming Christ, going to church and say, I'm just going to proclaim that I, that I believe in one God. And James says, listen, that is so absolutely useless because I'm going to tell you why. Because the demons are willing to do that and they do even better than that. They actually have an emotional reaction to the thought that God is one. What is that emotional reaction? They shudder. The word means to bristle. In other words, they get all goose pimply at the thought that God is one. They have a fear a fear and trepidation towards God. And so what James is trying to do is he's trying to get the attention of the believer. He wants them to wake up to this sedentary lifestyle that they had become accustomed to, and he wants them to show their real faith. There needs to be an expression. There needs to be evidence. Why is it? Why do you think this is so important? For James. Here's why. Number one, our faith in God defines us as an individual. I want you to think about this. Our faith in God defines us as an individual. What did Jesus say to his disciples? They will know that you are my disciples by what? By the love that you have for one another. Jesus is like, guys, listen, they're not going to believe it if they can't see it in your actions, in your love. Your wife is not going to see it. Your son is not going to see it. Your employers are not going to see it. Or your employees aren't going to see it. They're not going to believe it unless they see it in every one of your actions. The reason why this is so important is that our faith defines who we are as an individual. But there's a second reason why this is so important. Our faith in God is what impacts the world. See, I think this is really the heart of what James is getting at. He wanted the believers to be movers and shakers in their world. Some of them had become so accustomed to coming to church and just kind of going through the motions. Hello, brother. Hello, brother. Yes, I'm going to sit in that pew. And anybody that sits in that pew, that's my pew. And if you sit in my pew, there's going to be price to pay. Game on. Okay. You know, there was just kind of that mentality that James is addressing. And their faith should have been what impacts the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says this. This is what Paul said of the Thessalonians. He said, your faith in God has become known everywhere. My friends, it is our faith that makes God known in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families. It is our faith that makes us the salt of the earth. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, he said this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One challenge that I would often give to churches is if God were to remove this church from this area, would anybody in our neighborhood really know it? Would they know it? 
Now, I believe, knowing the reputation of this church in the community, that that would be the case. But what if we apply this on an individual basis? What if I moved away? What if I wasn't around anymore? Would my neighbors even miss my presence? Would my co-workers miss my presence? We are to be salt and light in the community around us. Yes, I think that real faith was absolutely important to Pastor James, and I believe it's absolutely important here at this church as well. I believe every one of the pastors, of course, this is probably what you hear on a regular basis in sermons. There's no time to waste. There are lives in the balance. There are souls that need saved. There are people that need to be influenced. I want to close our time out tonight with this story. Erwin Lutzer, in his book, When a Nation Forgets God, says this. He recounts this story of what real faith should look like, but didn't look like during the time of the Nazi Holocaust. I'm going to read this story. And then I'm going to play a video for you. And I just want you to think about how is my faith impacting this world? This is the story. It's an individual that lived during this time. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it. Because what could any of us do to stop it? A railroad, a railroad track ran behind our small church and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the trains as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear cries from the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train would come each week and when we heard the whistle blow, we began to sing louder, singing our hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing about it. What's the evidence of our faith? <clears throat> I know you might look at some of those pictures and say, Steve, that's, that's not West Virginia. That's not around here. Let me tell you a story. I have a lady in our church. Her name's Jan. She's 75. Jan is actually a relatively new believer. Mark knows Jan. I call her my bulldog because she's gotten lit for Jesus. I mean, she is so on fire. And I also often call Jan my Moses as well. Because every time I'd come to Jan, she would say, I, I can't, I can't. Pastor, I just can't do that. 
You know, the first thing I wanted her to do is I said, you know what, we're doing some stuff in the community, and I'd like for you to come out and help out with, uh, with the, you know, the outreaches in the community. We gotta let the, we gotta let the community know we exist. And she's like, I can't. But she came. And then she got so on fire, she was at every single event. In fact, she developed her own event. She decided to take on her entire trailer park, and she started sharing Christ with her neighbors and sharing her experiences with them. Then, later on, I held a class, what I called a Great Commission class, and and as she came to one class, she goes, you know what, I don't think this is for me. You know, this is a little over my head. You're talking about stuff and missions, and I, I will never go anywhere in the world. I'm 75 years of age. Last November, Jan went with me to Thailand. She adopted a little girl that we helped rescue out of the sex trade industry. But point is that it starts right here. Us living out our faith. I don't know where it'll take you. I don't know if it'll take you to the streets of India. I don't know if it will help. You will be an instrument of rescuing a little girl from the grips of a, of a pedophile. I don't know what in the world your faith will do. But here's what I know. If we continue doing the same old, same old, for some of us, we'll go nowhere. But what God wants is for it to be evident. Now, I wish I had a chance to know every single person because, you know, I realize there are some probably awesome examples, awesome examples of people that are just living out their faith. In fact, as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, oh yeah, so-and-so, man, they're like a Jan. Or so-and-so, that person, oh man, they have just, you know, they have opened up their home to so many people. Oh, that person's always helping out. And the list goes on. But if you're thinking about everybody else but yourself, then evaluate. How is my faith real? That's our start. Let's pray. Lord, you're the one who has created each person here. And Lord, you are a God who doesn't condemn. You are a God who loves. And you are a God who desires that this, that the light of Christ would be shining so brightly within us that people around us that do not know Christ would glorify God because of what they see in our life. Lord, forgive us for times of complacency. Forgive us for times where we have just allowed idols to, to creep up in our life. Lord, help us to do an evaluation of that. And Lord, would you please show us where we're out of bounds with you. Help us to come into an alignment with you. Help us to have your heartbeat, God. Help us to be the people that demonstrate that real faith in our everyday life. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.